Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny for those who are willing to open their hearts to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are in a series, and this series is called King and Kingdom. We uh, started this series a few months back, and I, today you will see something really, if you're paying attention, you're going to see something with your heart that you can't see in the natural. And what you're going to see is how the Holy Spirit orchestrated us going from the last series about the soul and us learning what we had to learn about our soul in order to get to this place and then specifically get to this place as we transition into a new year. When I've been, I've been studying about all this for, obviously, this is the next upcoming major message that I had to prepare for. So it's been like two weeks I've been thinking about this and, and meditating on this and going through it. And so I know that Mitchell's seen my notes, and he was like, okay. <laughs> and by notes, it's scripture. If you ever, if you ever want to, I have people all the time used to ask me, hey, can I have a copy of your notes? Sure, just a bunch of verses, but you can have them. <laughs> I don't have notes, as you might think. All I have is verses, because I, all I want to speak is what the Holy Spirit has told my heart. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, what I give to you, I received of the Lord. That was Paul's notes. The Lord fixed Paul. Paul released it. So most of the time when I'm standing up here and I'm saying, hey, let me tell you what works and what doesn't. (laughs) Sometimes you don't hear the part of like, hey, the reason I know that is because I super jacked up everything and every other way. And then I figured out this way through the scriptures and through the spirit that this is the way that works. So... There is an opportunity that you, that is available to you if you reflect back on what we learned about the psyche, the soul, and you apply it to what we're going to do today, you're going to have a powerful opportunity to be fruitful. So the first thing I'm going to say is in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, um, these are, and we're not going to turn there or we're not going to read them. I'm just going to synopsize them real quick. It's basically Jesus saying that his desire for all of us is to be very, very fruitful, specifically fruitful in the kingdom. Now, John chapter 15 was literally a few hours before Jesus went to the cross. John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 were hours before the crucifixion. And I'm not saying that because I believe those words are any more important or any less important than any other words that Jesus spoke or any other words in the Bible. But you got to understand, Jesus was in the most intimate moment. He was with the eleven. It was Jesus and the eleven, and it was a couple hours before the crucifixion. I can tell you that I've spent hundreds, hundreds of hours of studying, meditating, thinking on the verses in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, because there is so much. He was like, 
It was like his entire ministry in a fire hose at the guys like right before the end. And he knew they were about to go through literally probably the hardest moment of their entire life. And in John chapter 15, there's this really, really cool thing where he says that I desire above all things that you are fruitful. I want you to bear much fruit. You know, the Christian life is not just about you being saved. It's sad that we've been told this for so many decades that there's a bunch of Christians that actually believe it now. You tell a lie long enough and people believe it. Jesus didn't have, Jesus barely ever talked about heaven and hell. Barely ever. It is not about heaven and hell. It is about right here, right now, this moment. Remember, the Father is outside of linear time. And I can't, cannot tell you how many times I'm talking to or ministering to or witnessing to somebody, and because they have their fire insurance paid up, they're good to go. And i got news for you. God doesn't look at it the same way you look at it. He looks at us moment by moment, day by day. This is not you did that one thing back when you were 12 in youth camp, and so you're good to go. Because God knows your heart. And you can defile your heart at any moment and walk away from His grace. And I'm not saying this to scare anybody, to make anybody think they're going to hell. Stop it. What I'm saying is, is that this is the moment. This is the day of salvation. These are the moments. Every moment is the moment. And you're either pressing in or you are being overwhelmed by the world. And it is not okay for us to ride a roller coaster of God's love and to go into wreckage and have Jesus come in and save us and pull us out and then so we can get in our brand new car and go into wreckage again. And yes, God's grace will cover you. And yes, God's mercy will cover you. And yes, God will love you the entire time. But there is oh so much more to it than that. Yes, God loves you. That is awesome. But a person who truly knows that, you will see it ooze out of every aspect of their life. It is more than just knowing that God loves you. It is actually living in God's love. And it will affect where you go and what you think and what you do and how you do it. The folks of the New Testament, Jesus Christ Himself, He didn't have some mandate from heaven. He didn't wake up with a checklist every morning. He pressed into intimacy with his father. And from that, he had days that were full, so full, sometimes he didn't have time for sleep and food. Not out of duty. Not out of requirement. Out of intense, passionate, fervent love. We know this in the natural. When you're, when you're engaged and you're, and you're with your new boy or your new girl and, and it's still fresh and it's still, like, you'll do anything. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. But you'll do anything. You'll stay up all night long. All night long. You'll talk on the phone. About nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I've been there. 
You'll do dumb stuff. I have wrote K poetry. Yeah. That's right. You will do stupid things. And God bless her. She actually liked it. I think. She, she put on. That's dumb stuff. I don't write her poetry anymore because I stink at it. That don't mean I love her any less. But I'm saying like when you are passionate, when you're fervent, when you're freshly in love, when you're being, you'll do anything. You'll buy anything. You'll spend it, be spent. You'll go anywhere. You do. That's what every day should be like with Jesus. When he comes to your heart and he says, hey, will you do this? It shouldn't say, are you for real? Don't you know I was going to take a nap? You, you can fix it with love. <laughs> a lot of people in my life know that uh, that I don't like to be told that they love me. <laughs> my mom's giggling. I, I just, it's just me, maybe, I don't know. But I don't like it when people say, hey, I love you. Because they also love their truck, and they love their dog, and they love their house, and they love their favorite TV show. And the people that are really close and really intimate with me know that my language, the way that it says it to me is honor. Honor speaks love. Most of the married men, for sure, in the room, wives, you want to love your husband, don't tell him you love him. Show him you honor him. Don't tell him you honor him. It's the same thing with the ladies from the men. Guys, you want your wives to know that you love them? Show them love. Stop telling them. My passionate, fervent, life-altering experience with the love of Jesus has compelled me to do things that go beyond my ability, beyond my knowledge, beyond my wisdom, beyond my intellect, beyond my talents for sure. And if you're living within your capacity, within your ability, then I would encourage you, I would invite you to press into the chest of Jesus. And let His love change you. Anybody in this room, if you're trying to change yourself, that is witchcraft. If you're trying to change someone, that is witchcraft. Change only comes through the Spirit of God. (laughs) And I know I just made a big mess right there, and I don't have time to clean it up, so deal with it. You can text me later. John chapter 15, Jesus says that I want you to be fruitful. I want you to bear much fruit. Specifically, kingdom fruit. 
which is a whole different thing than what most people think. They think, well, if I'm happy, then I, that's a fruit of the kingdom. No, there's no happy that's fruit of the kingdom. In fact, I, I don't even give a rip about happy. People say, oh, the, you seem happy. I'm like, well, you're not paying attention. <laughs> Happiness has, is whatever. And, and don't look at my face or someone else's face and try to determine their mood by their face. I've had so many people say all the time, like, well, you looked at me and you were mad. I was literally thinking. That's my think face. <laughs> my think face looks a lot like my mad face, I guess. I don't even know what my mad... I haven't been mad in decades. <laughs> so I don't even know what mad is. But uh, my intense face, and people are like, you're mad at me because you looked at me. Stop judging me by my look. <laughs> Please, because the older I get, the less I want you to judge me by how I look. Happy is not kingdom fruit. Happy is fruit of this world, and that's why the world wants you to pursue happiness. Uh, did anybody ever think about that before? The world wants you to pursue happy. That's why they build those commercials that way. Because if you have their stuff, you'll be happy. If you drive the car they want you to drive, and if you wear the clothes and you smell with the perfume that they... they if you have all their stuff, then you'll be happy. In the kingdom, you have joy. Whether you have stuff or not. And you're, you can be like Paul. You can abound or abase. And either way, you are completely satisfied. Not that long ago, literally not that long ago, our family was living in a... 1,200 square foot, poopy little home, making about $200 a week from a restaurant that I was lied to about what the numbers looked like before I bought it. <laughs> so it took me a couple of years to fix it, making about 200 bucks a week, planting a church in a funeral home that the guy had mercy on me and let me rent it for free because <laughs> he knew I couldn't pay him nothing. God bless him. Had... 15 people who, God bless the grace on them to, to stick with me through all that stupid. From the outside, what the reason I'm, I'm enumerating all this, from the outside, absolutely nothing was right. Nothing. At that same time, Kay got breast cancer and we had to push through that. Like, I remember being in my garage, and I was working six, actually, I was working about seven days a week at the restaurant while doing the church. I would get home from the restaurant about one or two in the morning, and I'd be up at four in the morning studying on Sundays, getting ready for ministry. I was literally discipling people in my stock room at my restaurant. Because I just couldn't, I mean, anybody has ever been in a restaurant business, like, it takes you heart and soul, and that's just the way it is. You've got to be there a lot. They are the most bratty children you'll ever own. <laughs> and so I was doing restaurant and trying to do church, and I knew what I was called to do, but I knew what I had to do in order to, to make everything work and all this stuff. And my, my kids, 
God bless them, they, in Texas, they never got to do sports or play outside because we didn't live in a great place, and so we didn't let them play outside. And they didn't do sports because sports in Texas is like a god, and we didn't want them to have to worship two gods at the same time. And so, and plus they weren't really super interested. They're both just really smart, so they did great in that part. Then we moved here. <laughs> you go to a school in Pearl City, and it's not, will you play sports? It's which four will you play? So they're playing sports. So my son is playing football. First time ever in the Dakota Youth League. Where's Where's Gary? Hey, Gary. Gary's uh, one of the. He's an amazing guy. Anyway, uh, in the in the youth football league, Gunner was playing football in the youth football league, and they had their games on uh, Saturday, if I remember right. And. I had it all planned on how to figure out, I had all the people in all the right places to figure out how to get to one of Gunner's games on a Saturday while I owned a restaurant and while I was planting a church. And two days before, the coaching team or whatever said, we're moving the game. We can't do it at this time at this place. We're going to do it this time at this place. And that was the only game that I could see my son in his first season ever, play football. And I'll never forget standing in the garage while Kay was telling me. And I broke. And I wept like a baby. And I was broken and I was like, God, here I am. I gave up everything. Gave up a six-figure income with a great big title and all the notoriety. And I was the up-and-comer and and living in the big Seven million people metroplex doing the the urban life and and the sky was the limit and everybody had me picked for to be the, the guy of all the guys and moved to Pearl City. <laughs> Pastor these youngsters. Restaurant paying me two hundred bucks a week. Two hundred dollars a week. I had to take my motorcycle to work because I couldn't afford gas in my truck. It's rough in Illinois at 10 below. <laughs> Jesus' name. All that going on. And she tells me that all I wanted to do was see my son play football. And I broke. Because I let all the outside stuff. Man, I hope you get this. What the father seen was a son in whom he was well pleased. Man, I hope you hear this. The father seen a son in whom he was well pleased. I left Ur of the Chaldees. I got literally put all my stuff in an ark. We still have the trailer. We still call it the ark. Put everything I owned in an ark. Brought my family to nowhere. Pearl City. Gave up all the money. Gave up all the honor. Gave up all the notoriety. Gave up all the things that the world says that you're supposed to pursue. And did just simply what my father said to do. Go teach people this good news. Yes, sir. 
What my father seen was a son in whom he was well pleased. What I seen was all the stuff that didn't matter. Gunner probably doesn't even remember I didn't go to that football game. I didn't play, sorry. He didn't even play. (laughs) (laughs) I was sat there the whole time like, put my boy in. You know what I'm going through to get here. (laughs) You better put my boy in. I will kick you. (laughs) Then I would have been even more in the flesh. And it only lasted like, I don't know, five minutes, and I cried it out, and I pulled myself back together. And that's exactly what happened. Was The father was like, what is the problem? You have a wife that adores you. You have a family that loves you. You've planted a church where no, not even angels dare to tread. <laughs> With people that are amazing. They were not hard to pastor in any way. (laughs) Going through all the stuff, and man, I cannot tell you, and looking back, I can tell you, it was some of the most glorious moments of my life. We had so many great things that happened. Kay gets supernaturally healed of cancer and and so many miracles. I, there was one lady that came in that little funeral home. This guy was in a wheelchair. And she. it took her three minutes to tell me all of her diseases. She came up to the, We had like 20 people in the church. I mean, when somebody comes in a wheelchair and they're super sick, like you notice it. She comes up to the altar after the service was done, after I preached my little heart out. And she said, can you pray for me? I'm like, of course I'll pray for you. She said, okay. I said, well, what's going on? <laughs> Famous last words. And man, she went off and, and she names, I didn't even know there was these names existed. I think she was making some of them up just to chest me. And I'm like, as she got to the end of it and she's like, you know, but if like this and this and this got fixed, I'm like, hey, how about we just like, just do it all. I don't have to pronounce it because it doesn't matter anyway. So we prayed for her, laid hands on her, and in five minutes she was out of her wheelchair. She went outside and chunked her oxygen tank out in the parking lot. It was a gravel park. It was a mess. Anyway, she was healed of however many things that was. And went away having a great time and loving God. Like those are, that stuff happens. And I'm going to whine about a small paycheck. About not seeing my son play football? Dear Jesus. When you put things in the right perspective, which is what Jesus was saying, look, I desire that you are fruitful, kingdom fruit. Because when you have these kingdom fruit in your life, all of the other stuff means nothing. Means nothing. So Jesus desires. Jesus himself the one who fills you, the one who birthed you in His name and His Spirit, desires for you that you are very, very fruitful. And when Jesus desires something for you, He does this amazing thing where He he releases the grace that's necessary for that thing to happen. So everyone in this room and everyone out there at the sound of my voice, Jesus has made this available to you. Will you eat the fruit? Luke chapter 12. 
This is king and kingdom. The king and his kingdom were the message of Jesus. And I know a bunch of you are struggling with that. No, he preached, he preached love and he preached forgiveness and he preached grace and he preached da 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 da. Yeah, he, he preached all that stuff. But his message was about the kingdom. Jesus preached about the kingdom. Jesus taught about the kingdom. And then Jesus displayed the kingdom. Every time someone got healed, it was because the kingdom was on display. Every time someone got set free, it was because the kingdom was on display. Every time someone got delivered from demonic oppression or depression or possession was because the kingdom had manifest for that person. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, all of the activities, all of the teaching, all of the parables, they all went towards one message, the kingdom. He didn't come to get you born again. He came to save you from the dark kingdom and place you into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 or 17. He wanted to get you out of the kingdom that Adam wrecked and put you back into the kingdom of His Father. Obviously, that means you go to heaven. Obviously, that means you avoid hell. Obviously, there's a bunch of things that go with that, but we've made all of these very, very tiny things, these great big mountains of doctrine, when Jesus wanted the only doctrine to be the doctrine of the kingdom. If you understood heaven, then you can understand everything there is about the Christian life. In heaven, how many pandemics are there? Are you sure? You seem very confident about that. Have you ever been to heaven? Do you know? Yes. Congratulations for dying and coming back. Here's the thing, like, you've never seen it. You have never laid these physical eyes on heaven. But you know that you know that you know that there is no sickness there. There is no pandemic there. How do you know that? Because you know the character of God, you know His Word. You know, if you knew that He desired heaven here the way that heaven is there, it would stop all the confusion on the inside of you. I don't know if God wants me healed. Okay, will you eventually be in a place where there's no sickness or disease? Yes. Is that His will? Yes. So is that His will now? What is the economic situation of heaven? They in a depression? I mean, just like maybe a little economic downturn. What's the what's the stock market doing in heaven? How how many needy people? How many soup kitchens in heaven? So, are you sure? There's none of those things in heaven. Like, maybe there's an obscure verse in Zephaniah about the, the poor part of heaven. 
Like there's a couple of alleys every once in a while that you, when you walk down them, you got to make sure you're packing some heat. You know, you don't want to go down there over after dark. I mean, there's no dark, but if there was dark, you wouldn't want to be there after dark. How about that? How, ma- how many police? You know, there are people literally in the body of Christ that think that that's their job is to be the police of the body of Christ and run around and tell everybody all the stuff they're doing wrong. Not that you're speeding. Stop it. Not bad doctrine. Repent. You! Did you say this? Oh, that's a ticket. They, I know, they've attacked me. <laughs> I just tear up their tickets. And then they don't come back to church. I don't know what's wrong with them. The Father wants your life here to reflect what your life there is. Not will be, is. A third of you right now is seated in heavenly places. Your spirit, man, is in heaven. Well, no, it's not. If it was there, I'd feel it. Here we go. We're going to go to the feelings. Because the feelings are the God of all things true. I know you guys are shaking. No, this is Sunday morning at church. That's why you're shaking your head at me. Because if it was Tuesday at lunch and we'd be talking about your feelings, well, let me tell you how I feel. You know what I'm going to do based upon how I feel? Yeah, you go get them, sister. But we're in church now, so everybody's holy. Oh, that's right, Pastor. I'm not led by them feelings till tomorrow. Because we just, if, if, if whatever we feel like doing is that's what we do. And if someone says, hey, don't do that, like, you're not the boss of me. Don't judge me. Don't condemn me. Don't do how you feel. I'll do whatever I want. I'm American. Uh, no, you're not. You're kingdom of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You have a Lord. You gave up American. Some of you. Some of you gave up citizenship of America to take on the citizenship of heaven. If you did that, I know that some of you haven't. I get that. Because there's a difference between Jesus being a person's savior. Because that's where most Christians are. They're just saved. Between that and Jesus actually being Lord. Lord means he's in charge. <laughs> There's three people there. Yeah. No. If he's in charge, by default that means you you're Yeah. And and we and we we're cool with that. Like when we put ourselves into a massive mess and we're standing there and we're like sinking and like I can't take it no more. Lord, you be in charge. And then he comes and he he's in charge, and he helps us. And he like that's right. Jesus is in charge. (laughs) Now stand back. I got this. (laughs) And then we go and do that again. And, And we wonder why we're right in that. It's just way easier to let him just be in charge all the time. Well, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you do. You know how to let your flesh be in charge. You go by what you feel and what you think and how how you interpret information. It's the same way. 
Jesus has given your your heart eyes. You can see with your heart. And almost all the time that you see with your heart is different than what you see with your eyes of your head. Your heart has ears. Did you know it? Which means your heart can hear things that your ears don't hear. Your heart has a mind. Which means your heart can know things that your head cannot. That's why we have the mind of Christ. That's why James says, don't be double-minded. Double-minded is, well, I'm thinking here, and then I'm thinking here, and I'm thinking here, and I'm thinking here. You know what that gives you? A headache. In both. (laughs) One mind. The mind of Christ. Luke chapter 12, Jesus was teaching on almost the entire chapter on the kingdom. In verse 29, seek not. It actually starts with and, but if I talk about and, I'm going to talk about all the verses before, so I'm skipping and. Seek not. It's interesting that the Lord says first, here's what you don't seek. This is where he loses half the crowd. Because when he tells us what not to seek, most people get offended. Because who does he think he is, and what does he know? Seek not what you shall eat, what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Don't seek natural provision. And I know everybody in here, you're saying, yeah, amen, because you're reading it. But we all know that 40 to 80 hours of your week is doing this. God bless you. I, I would encourage you. You should probably go with Jesus. His way is better. Well, then how am I going to eat? And no, that's what God wants to do, is starve you to death. That's what he sent Jesus for, was to come down here and tell you all the stuff to make your life terrible. Starve you to death, make you homeless, live under a bridge, and eat barnacles off the boats. That's what he wants to do. And, and, and I know that you're arguing with me. <laughs> no, he doesn't want to do that. Well, then why are you arguing with what he says? If you don't believe that that's his character, then you have to believe that what he's asking you to do is congruent with his character. His character is love. His character is abundance. So don't seek food and water. Don't be of a doubtful mind. The word doubtful mind in the Greek is like materiozo. It's where we get the word meteor. And it's talking about anxious thoughts that hang there. Does anybody remember, I think it's the cartoon, I think it's the Peanuts cartoon where there was a dude that walked around and he always had a rain cloud over him. Was it Peanuts? So, for young people, Google it. So there was this cartoon character that everywhere he went he had this rain cloud that everybody else was standing in perfect sunlight, but he was had the rain cloud. And it's, I, I'm telling you, like it is so illustrative of where a lot of people in even the body of Christ live. You are, you are seated in heavenly places with your Father, with your Savior, with the Holy Spirit, with all of the saints in glory, 
with the abundance of heaven itself, with the health of heaven, with the joy of heaven, with the glory of heaven. You are literally seated there and someone said something mean on Facebook. And you are mad for a week. Because this isn't really true where you're seated, where the Bible tells you you're seated. That's not really true. What's really true is what I think. It's what I see with these eyes. It's what I hear with these ears. It's what I experience with these phalanges. And I'm telling you, this is not real. This is so super temporal. This life is the shortest thing you will ever do in eternity. It is a vapor. It is a breath. And it is gone. And we need to have the same perspective that our Father has. Don't seek those things. Don't be like the dude walking around with the cloud hanging over his head. And let me illustrate this. All right, I'm going to go do church today. But man, I got that bill. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to love my wife today. But man, I got that bill. I'm going to, I'm going to witness to my friends at work today. But man, I got that bill. They're going to take my car. They're going to take my house. They're going to, it's that lofty, hanging out right there, anxious thought. And I don't know what it is for you. Well, the doctor said I'm going to die in six months. So that thought just stays right there. It's just stuck with a pin right above there. And you're, and you're doing stuff and then, oh, everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's that thing in your gut that kind of twists you up. Well, it looks like everything's going right, but man, when that, I know I'm having a good day right now, but that, that's what Jesus is saying. You need to shoot that rain cloud. Sever its ability to drop anything on you. And then he says why. This is so cool about Jesus. This is why we know that God wants to be our friend. He's not just a God that places demands and gives orders and does all that. Now, if I was God, that's how exactly how I'd rule it. But that's not how he rules. He rules as a father and as a friend. And so he tells us why. The reason you don't do that is because this is what the nations of the world do. The word nations is ethos, and the world is cosmos. And so what he's saying is all of the ethnic groups of the people of this natural realm, all they can do since they have no Father God and since they have no covenant, the only thing they can do is seek what they're going to eat and seek what they're going to drink and seek what, and be worried about all the problems that are coming their way because they have no other option. There's no salvation for them. They have no covenant. They have no Father God. There is no rescue. They are hopeless. And so the best they can do is just nose to the grindstone and work hard and wear your body out and wear your mind out and eventually die. And then who knows? Maybe you get reincarnated as a butterfly or something. That's how they come up with these different religions. That's what the nations of this world do. Beloved, we should believe and think and operate different than people who have no covenant and have no father. If you're seeking these things, 
then you are operating as a person with no covenant and with no father. Amen. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you have need of these things. How many people really know that? Do you really know that the Father knows you intimately enough to know what you need? Do you think He made your body? He knows how much food and water it needs or it doesn't need? Notice how I'm not looking at anybody. Do you think He knows that you need shelter? <laughs> clothes? I can promise you, Father in Heaven wants you to have clothes. Amen. He, never mind. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. Your Father knows what you need. And so what He's asking you is to focus on what He needs. And I know me saying that is going to irritate people. Well, God don't need nothing. You don't know God. Love creates need. God loves people that are lost. God loves lost people. Not just you, you arrogant little thing, but God loves all the people that you don't love. And He wants those folks saved. And He needs you to go and do it. God loves people that are sick. God even loves sick sinners. I know, it's crazy to think. But God doesn't want people sick. He'll actually ask you to go lay hands on someone that's sick and not do it for some ulterior motive. Just because He loves them. God sends rain on evil people and rain on good people. God doesn't pick which farmers get to have crops. He says, hey, if you put a seed in the ground, it gets sunlight, nutrients, and rain, it'll grow. Whether you're an evil farmer or a good farmer. God wants people to be blessed. It's a radical concept. He doesn't even have an ulterior motive. He just loves people. And so he wants you to go and express that. Because folks that are not born again don't have the ears you have, don't have the eyes you have, and don't have the mind that you have. And so the only way for them to ever know that they're loved is from you. And all these things shall be added unto you. The way that you get food, water, clothing, shelter is by seeking the kingdom. And your Father will bring you. Let me ask you this. If God was, let's say you were going to go build your dream home. And you had your choice between the general contractor Steve Castle or the general contractor Yahweh. Which one would you choose? Who do you think would do a better job building your dream home? Steve Castle. Uh, I have some cool tools. Or Yahweh, the creator of the universe, who makes galaxies in his spare time. Which one do you want? Okay, right now, most people are saying, well, the house that I have is going to be a derivative of my own hands and my own ability and my own money and my own... And the whole time, God's like, I could probably do something with that. Fear not, little flock. 
It is your father's goodwill. To sell you with interest. This is why you should have your Bibles. Because some preacher can stand up here and manipulate scriptures, and unless you know what the Bible says, you wouldn't. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give. To give. Give you the kingdom. Kingdom is a compound word of king and dumb. King, which is very uh, a very unique word to an American culture. They they usually have this negative connotation, like King George or you know the oppressive monarchs that we escaped as Americans. And I get that, but the theocracy um, system of government that the father set up as the only system of government that he approved of, had him as the king. And obviously mankind rejected it, and so they went into, and that's when God gave us um, different forms of government. But God's original form of government, even after the fall, was a theocracy where God was in charge, and he was the king. And mankind obviously rejected it. All of you, and I know a couple weeks ago that I said this, and it probably messed with a bunch of people, and you're probably still mad at me, but you'll get over it. If you ever say, well, God's in charge, or God's in control, you poor, poor fool. Because he's not. And I'm still getting the resistance now. I can't believe a preacher would say that. I know. I can't believe it either. still doing it. God is not in charge. God is not in control. Sorry. If that pops your bubble, then your bubble needs to be popped. God's in charge where he is the king and he has dominion. King dumb. King's dominion. So where people have him as king and they give him dominion, he has control. And he's in charge. Where he's not. And I know what you're probably thinking. Well, he's in charge of me. No, he's not. I'm sorry. And I'm not even looking at anybody specifically. I just know. If God's in charge, what is he in charge of? Is he in charge of how you got to church today? At what time you got to church today? Did Did he take control of your gas pedal foot? Did he keep you right in the exact center of the lane while you drove here? Did you follow every single traffic law? Was he in charge of whether you had raisin brands or cocoa wheats? Was he in charge of what time you woke up? Was he in charge of the, the exact noise that the alarm clock made? No, beloved. You need to understand this. God has given you the right to rule and reign over your lives. And when you humble yourself and you submit to his rule and his reign, then he has charge and control. But until that, or in those places that you don't, then he doesn't. If he was in charge and in control, it would look like heaven. That's why he told us to pray as it is in earth, be like it in heaven. If, it was, if he was in charge and in control, it would look like heaven. Because he's in perfect charge and perfect control in heaven. But since he's not in perfect charge and perfect control on this earth, he has 
deputized you as an ambassador of his kingdom to come here to expand his government and to put him in charge and in control, starting with, firstly, you. Amen. The kingdom is the king's dominion, which is where he has reign and rule. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us to seek first. He preached this message. If you look at the synoptic gospels, Jesus preached this message two or three different times. In Matthew's gospel, he said, seek first. You know what I learned in track when I ran track in high school? There's only one first place. And it was never me. (laughs) Ever. There's only one first place. If you're seeking first anything else, if you're seeking first your family, you think that's noble. It's not. If you're seeking first your investments, if you're seeking first your future, if you're seeking first your destiny, if you're seeking first your purpose, if you're seeking for anything you're seeking first that's not the kingdom, means that the kingdom is not first. Which means... I hope you get it figured out on how to feed yourself, clothe yourself, build your own house, do all that stuff that God's supposed to do for you. I hope you're a really good God on your own without God because you're going to have to be in charge of all those things. Now, if you're seeking first his kingdom, then he gets to put all those things in order. You know the best thing I can do for my family? Seek first the kingdom. And then I ain't got to worry about raising my kids. Let me give you a secret. Okay, kids, plug your ears. Gunnar. Be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I'm a terrible father. I know. Shocking. The only good fathering in me is from the Father God. And I knew that, like, from the get-go. And so I'm like, man, I need to get these kids to the Father God as soon as possible. The best thing I could ever possibly do as a father is get them to the father. Because I'm a terrible father in the natural. I know some of you probably pride yourself in how great a parent you are. God bless you. The Passion Translation says, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then, all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. If you have lack or needs in the physical need, uh, requirements of your life, if you're financially disrupted, if your health is not the way that it should be, if your soul is not experienced in the prosperity, I could probably point to this verse and say, you're probably not doing that. You're not seeking first the kingdom. Because Jesus said, if you do it, all these things will happen. So if you, if you read this verse backwards, if you're not doing it, then all these things are probably not happening. So you need to get a second job and work overtime. And that's what most people do, y'all. Yeah, and Christians, too, for real. Like, they're short on money, and so work harder. So you're going to trade your life first off. Probably not a kingdom plan. Just my opinion. You can do what you want to do because you're in charge. Matthew 13. The entirety of Matthew 13 was Jesus telling us parables. A parable is an illustration. 
Parables are not doctrine. Man, I wish I could bring some preachers in the room and sit them down and say, Hey guys, um, parables are not doctrine. Parables illustrate doctrine. Teaching creates doctrine. Parables illustrate doctrine. So when you're looking at a parable, you can't say every single nicky-picky thing about that parable has to be doctrine of heaven. No. The parable illustrates the doctrine. Matthew 13, verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Um, For those of you that aren't hip to King James, a farmer went out to plant. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Right at the get-go, I want to enumerate, there was only one seed, there was only one type of heart You will find out later on that the ground is the heart of man. There was only one type of heart that the enemy had 100% access to. And it was the hard ground. And I can tell you from experience, 46 years in and around the kingdom, that the people that the devil has the most rule and reign in their lives, it's because they are hard. Hard in their heart. Verse 5, some fell among stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth. Does anybody know this? Like, if you put, um, if you put seeds in, uh, in an area that has a, just a little bit of soil and a lot of other stuff, those seeds will actually spring up faster than if you put seeds in really good deep earth, because because the seeds that are in the shallow dirt, they only have one direction to grow, which is up. The seeds that are planted in good, healthy dirt, what they do first is they grow down. And then they grow up. And the ones that spring up first, they end up dying because they don't really have access to the proper amounts of nutrients that they need. And the ones that grew down first, those are the ones that last forever and they become really fruitful. So in stony ground... The seeds spring up immediately. But, and when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell, I'm I'm struggling right now because I, I have meditated these This same parable is in uh, Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. Um, And if you look at all the three different times that Jesus spoke this, uh, two of them were actually different. You can tell by the Synoptic Gospels. And so this was a message that Jesus preached a lot. He, He preached this a lot. He told this parable a lot. And so because I know that he told it a lot, I've studied it a lot, because if he told a lot, then that means it's a lot important. I know I'm using a lot a lot, but it's really a lot. (laughs) And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, and other fell on good ground and brought forth forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. You know, good ground, good ground sometimes only brings forth thirty. 
This is why you are not allowed to look at what, how other people are having success and judge yourself by other people's success. Because even your good ground only brings forth 30. Whereas mom's good ground will bring forth 100. It makes Jim mad a lot. But unto other fell uh, good ground, some brought forth a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why would he say that? Which person in the crowd didn't have ears? In Jesus' crowd. You know, you go to Jesus' crowd, you ain't got ears, you don't leave the meeting at the same way. So he wasn't talking to people that didn't have mud flaps on the side of their skulls. Now, here's what's interesting. I've heard preachers preach this all the time, and it irritates the fire out of me, because they preach this like this is they're, they're differentiating between people in general. Some people are lost people, some people are partially lost people, some people are minimal Christians, and some people are real Christians. This, Jesus didn't speak. He was speaking kingdom truths to kingdom people. 100% of the people in this parable were kingdom people. That means there are kingdom people that the devil devours daily. (laughs) Shocking. I know. Well, there's no way you could be born again and be in the kingdom and the devil could have access to you. Well, then you need to throw this parable that's a lot out of your Bible. Because there was an entire group of people that seed was being planted on their ground and their ground was so hard that the devil came, floated down, picked it up, ate it. And because God's... Oh, you guys aren't going to like this. God bless you. Because the, the seed of the Word of God is incorruptible seed, it cannot be corrupted. Are you following me? What happens to a bird that cannot digest a seed? We live in northwestern Illinois. Come on, y'all. You've seen it on your car. Big splot and there's something in the middle. That's that undigested seed. So you're going to get this one way or another. Follow me. Now, thank God you have a polished preacher and not a foul. Because if the Lord has to send a foul your way, you are going to need some soap. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I would be remiss if I would not tell you that at Mark 4.13, Jesus, when he was telling this parable, said, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you know all parable? Jesus specifically said, if you don't get this, you ain't getting nothing. And I'm telling you, there are people in this room, this is the first time you've ever heard this parable. And you're shocked how things are not working out in your life properly. When Jesus said, if you don't get this, you don't get nothing. (laughs) Amen. Or oh me, whoever you are. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why do you speak in parables? <laughs> I, I know what it's like to be the shepherd of a flock. <laughs> Pastor, why do you? Uh, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not. Jesus, that's not very nice. 
You should be more kind, Jesus. You should be as kind as me. <laughs> Heard another pastor say, you know, there's a lot of Christians that are kinder than God. It's true. Because they think in their kindness that they don't have a requirement to do the stuff that God asked them to do because they're going to be kind. I don't want to be kinder than Jesus. I want to be as kind as Jesus. And he answered, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them is given, but unto them it is not given. For whoso, check this out, verse 12 makes every liberal in the world super mad and anti-Christ. This is why the left is anti-Christ. I'm showing you. And I'm not even being funny. I'm not being political. This is why the left is anti-Christ. Verse 12 will tell you. For whosoever has, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even what he has. Anti-socialism. The left wants everyone to be socialism. The left thinks Robin Hood is a hero. When I was a kid, I used to think Robin Hood was a hero. Great, he's stealing from the rich. He's giving to the poor. And what... I failed to understand was he was stealing at gunpoint or arrow point. Okay. Stealing is, an, is bad. I, I, I'm probably ruining some people's hero in here. Like, what? No, I got Robin Hood sticker on my car. Well, God bless you. Get out there before I do. Because... It's wrong to take something from someone because they have abundance. The entire American tax system is anti-Christ. <laughs> it's wrong to take something from someone because they have abundance. God says if you have abundance, you get more. Why would God do that? Because you can be trusted with it. If you can be trusted with something, God will give you more because you'll bring forth more fruit. The reason that maybe you don't have some things that other people have is maybe you can't be trusted with them. Now, don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. He wrote it. If you can't be trusted with something, God's not going to give you more. Because He loves people. If you can't be trusted with people, why would He give you more people? If you can't be trusted with love, why would He give you more opportunity to love? If you can't be trusted with generosity, why would He give you more money? So you could blow it on yourself? Dear Jesus, I'm telling you, this is, this is a kingdom doctrine. He said it specifically. He gave them the mystery about the kingdom, which is God gives more to the people that are faithful with what they have because they have abundance and they're managing it well. If you want more from God then manage what you have. I cannot tell you how many times I told people who are believing for cars and I go sit in their car and they got a 14-year-old hamburger sitting on the floorboard. God would not give you another car. You're not taking care of the one that you have. God's not going to give you another house if you're not taking care of the one that you have. God's not going to bring people into your life if you're not honoring the people that are in your life now. God's not going to bring spiritual leaders into your life if you're not honoring the spiritual leaders that you have now. Man. 
Verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Seeing, hearing, understanding. These are all spiritual things. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. And, sh- and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. You know, you can see and not see. You can hear and not hear. You want to be like Jesus? Filter everything through the scriptures. Jesus seen everything that Jesus seen. When he seen what was going on in people's lives, he filtered everything through the scriptures. Everything. He didn't say, well, I mean, she's kind of pretty, so I guess we'll... We'll have to be more gracious to her. No, he filtered everything. When people were rejecting him, he filtered it through Isaiah's prophecy. If you want to be like Jesus, filter everything you experience, filter everything that comes at you, filter everything you see, everything you hear, and everything you understand, filter it through the Scriptures. One of the, I think, the greatest things that I've ever had the opportunity to have the experience of in the last probably 15, 20 years is what I call spiritual acuity. Spiritual acuity. And that's able to see things that are unseen. I don't have to prophesy. I can tell you, some based upon how people are living their lives, I can tell you the direction that you're heading. I can tell you things that are going to happen in your life. Kay and I have made projections on certain people's lives, and we were right 100% of the time. And it wasn't prophecy. It wasn't a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. We just seen what was going on in spiritual acuity. When you look through the Scriptures, when you look through the Spirit, and you see what's going on in people's lives, you know where they're going to end up, where they're headed. We knew that Ryan and Jess were going to have an amazing experience. Five years ago when we connected, because they were so humble, they were so submitted, their hearts were so soft, and they were so jacked up. And then there's other people that were met us at the same time, in the same situation, the same conditions, that were way ahead of them. In all of the ways that you could measure. But their hearts were not humble. They were not submitted. They were not soft. They were not yielded. And now things have literally reversed. And Ryan and Jess are on top, and they are the head, and other people are the tail. And we knew it. We knew it. Spiritual acuity. You can have this. This is part of the kingdom. Be like Jesus. Filter everything through the Scriptures. Verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Beloved church. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Blessed is your understanding, for it understands in Jesus' name. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them. The people that are attending this service in heaven are a million times greater than the people that are attending this service on earth. And I hope you got that. The number of the people in the heavenly host that are listening to me preach right now are a million times greater than the number of physical butts that are in purple chairs. 
And I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm saying that because they know what's important. There are people right now that are golfing. There are people right now that are watching football. There are people right now that are doing whatever. And in their mind, a white golf ball on grass is more valuable than Jesus Christ. Now, they wouldn't say it that way, but it's true. Because you do what you value. What you value, you interact with. That's why people don't give in church. Because they actually care more about their money than they care about Jesus. (laughs) This is why I can say that stuff because I don't know who gives. As far as I'm concerned, everybody in here gives. So I just reiterate it to you. But that's why people don't give in church. Is because they, they really honestly believe that their money is really worth more to them than the kingdom. You, do you know how hard I work for this money? No, please tell me. Please tell Jesus, who died on a cross for you, how hard you worked for your money. Then Jesus does this great thing where he explains it. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, verse 18. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. This happens every Sunday at Beloved Church. People hear what I'm saying. They don't understand it. They fall asleep. They don't give a rip. And the enemy comes and steals the little bit that came into their life. And you can have, I want you to, I want you to hear me. This is important. You could be sitting next to someone who is right in the center of their journey to have the most amazing life ever. And you are fighting back your hatred for me at the same time. At the same, at the same time. Two people, same church, same pew. One of them is headed to the stratosphere. One of them is not. What's different? It's not me. It's not the Word. It's not the Spirit of God. It's not the love of God. There are people in here that have been around for a long time that have gone to the stratosphere. And there are people that have been here for a long time that are no longer here. God bless them. You need to get this. How many people didn't receive from Jesus? Way more than did. At the end of his ministry, 120 people in an upper room. That's it. Beloved church is 200 and... I don't even know now. 200 and some odd people. I have more people in my ministry than Jesus had in his ministry. Does that mean I'm a better preacher? Does that mean I'm a better church? Does that mean that... No. <laughs> it means that people don't... Just because the, the, the vessel through which the Spirit of God flows is perfect or imperfect, doesn't, that doesn't mean how, that's how people receive. Are you following me? How many people were in the perfect preacher's perfect evangelistic association and said... Crucify him, crucify him, release Barabbas. 
And I know what you're thinking. Well, if Jesus was my pastor, if Jesus was standing at this pulpit, and if Jesus was preaching this message, I'd be really excited. But since Steve is past the Kleenex for the drool as I drift off. You think people didn't sleep in Jesus' means? You think people didn't get healed in Jesus' means? I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture that people came to Jesus' meetings and didn't get healed. And didn't get what they wanted. Because they didn't pursue it. What you seek, you find. If you don't seek it, you're not just going to be doing your own thing, being your own God, and Jesus is going to come along and just slap a little greasy grace on you. doesn't work that way. Verse 20, but he that receives the seed, but he that receives the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the word. And anon, anon means quickly, with joy receives it. I've seen hundreds of people like this. Pastor, that was the best sermon ever. (laughs) There is literally a woman that is not in this church anymore that on a Sunday, she wrote me an email. It was about eight paragraphs long. It was a big email. It was like a Stacy type. And, and in this email, she spent eight paragraphs or whatever telling me how amazing I was as a pastor, how amazing Beloved Church was, how great all the stuff was, named multiple people, learned, told me all the things that she'd learned. Da, 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 da. Three weeks later, she's in a different church. Hasn't talked to me since. Received it with gladness. Received it with joy. Yes, this is the greatest thing. You know how many people I've said sitting in my office? Oh, this is the best thing I've ever heard. This is the gospel. I've never heard the gospel. This is the greatest gospel ever. Oh, this is so amazing. This is so wonderful. Three weeks later. Hello. 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 Where'd you go? Go. This is stony ground. You know what the amazing thing is? You know what stones are? Pre-dirt. <laughs> I know that's not scientific, but it's true. Stones are pre-dirt. You know how you get dirt? Break down stones. <laughs> I know. All you people didn't know that. I'm so smart with science. <laughs> I actually didn't. I actually looked it up last night. I'm like, where's dirt come from? Dirt is the combination of broken down rocks and stone and, uh, and, uh, material from living organisms and nutrients and minerals. I'm like, so rocks are pre-dirt. The amazing thing is, is that when God's word falls in some people's lives, they literally have pre-dirt. And instead of making pre-dirt, they're going to keep the rocks. And stay hard. Take that word of God, stupid truths that I don't want to hear. Okay. Verse 21. Here's where I wanted to go. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> this is a hard parable to do in an hour. So I don't need none of your judgment. For all of you that don't have your Bibles open. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. 
For when tribulation or persecution arises for the word, by and by, he's offended. Ta-da! Yep. Why is he offended? Because they're being persecuted. (laughs) Are you following this? One of the reasons that we're not fruitful is because the enemy literally on purpose is doing stuff to persecute you, to tribulate you. You know what tribulate means? Agitate. It means to, like, stir up. I could have the most perfect dirt ever and the most perfect seed ever. If I put that seed in that dirt and water it and put it in the sun, it has all the potential in the universe. But if I come by every morning and stir it up, Anybody wise enough to understand how this works? I'll never have. Never, ever will I have the potential of that seed. Because they're agitated. Those of you that like to get agitated about stuff, when you watch the news and you get agitated, when you hear or see something that I do that you don't like, when you see your spouse or your family or whatever do... When you get agitated about stuff, you, I would need you to understand, at least please understand this. If you don't get nothing all day, get this. Understand with your heart that that is literally on purpose by the enemy to get the word out of you. Amen. At least get that, please, beloved. Please. You are being persecuted and tribulated. Persecuted means pressed. The world is pressing you. And if you're not paying attention, I don't know, like, I would say raise your hand if you're not being pressed. (laughs) And I'd probably have the same response. The world is pressing you. Stressing you. And agitating you for one reason. To get the word from your heart. Do you know why on Sunday morning when you want to go to church, everything goes wrong? (laughs) I know, shocking! But you know what happens? If If you press through that and you say, in the name of Jesus, I will never not miss church, you know what will happen? The enemy will give up that fight because he lost that fight. He'll move on to something else. I'm not saying that he'll give up all fight, but he'll give up that fight. You know, whatever you won't let the enemy fight you on, you won't have a fight. It takes two to fight. All the married couples say amen. Amen. Kay taught me that. God bless her. I wanted to fight a lot. She didn't want to fight at all. Guess how many times she won? All the time. Because it takes two. You have to have two to fight. I would get mad at her because she didn't fight. It would just make me worse. (laughs) you think I'd be smart enough to figure it out. Nope, I'm stupid. The enemy may want to fight you on something, but if you're not going to fight on that, there's no fight. If you've already determined, well, from Sunday, from 8 to 1 or 2 or 3 or whatever, that, that's, that's beloved family time. And I don't care, hell, high water, the only thing that's going to stop that is the rapture. You make that determination, I will bet you 50 bucks, and it's a lot of money for me, I will bet you 50 bucks. That next Sunday, things are different. 
If you can't be tribulated, if you can't be persecuted, if you've already locked that in you, it will not be able to be stolen from you. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 something, says that, <laughs> read the whole chapter, it's a good chapter. Says that you cannot be offended if you do not get into strife and contention with other people. I thought he put it up. There, there is, you are the, the one that determines whether you're offended or not. Not the situations. The situations come as temptations. They're temptations to be offended. Jesus had temptations to be offended. And he chose not. We're not taking offense into 2021. We're, we are not. Do you hear me, beloved? We are not taking offense into 2021. Period. God is doing incredible, majestic, glorious things in our midst and for our region and for us as people in order to be a light to a dark world. And we are not going to have our light snuffed out because we are offended. Psalms 119, verse 165 says, They that love your law cannot be offended. And the word law means instruction. When you love the instruction of the Lord, you literally make yourself unoffendable. Unoffendable. You know, if the enemy can't offend you, then he can't persecute you. Because persecution requires offense. If the enemy cannot offend you through tribulation or persecution, through lies or through manipulation, you are literally bulletproof. You are bulletproof. It can't happen. Every single time offense comes your way, it is for the purpose of the enemy to come in and steal from you the things that the Father has in your life. And we have seen them leave by the hundreds. And it breaks my heart every time. And it's offense after offense after offense after offense. And the more you stack it up, the more you justify it. Well, this is what they did. This is what they did. This is what they did. Let me tell you what they said. Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you. Let me. And you justify it. As soon as you start to justify your offense, you get into bed with it and you procreate more offense. And that's literally James talks about that. You literally have intercourse with Satan and you produce seed. You have got to... As if the devil with pitchfork, red tail, and horns was standing in front of you saying, please come sin with me. You need to reject that as much as you reject offense. Because this will steal the fruitfulness that God has for your life and your heart. And let me say this real quick and I'm done. So, most temptable Places and people in our lives that the Father has or that the enemy has to present us with temptation are the ones that are closest to you. You might be mad about something going on in politics and you're your worst politician. You might be mad at it, but you're really not offended at it. But let your wife not make your chicken noodle soup with the exact right oregano and you'll throw it on the wall and 
call her names. Are you following me? Like, we will give the average person on the street mercy, 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 mercy. Because we're Christians. But your own family, people that you're close to, your friends, people that God has placed in your life, dear Lord, let them make one mistake. Catch them doing one thing that you don't like. That's it. They're out. Find me another. Why do you think that? Because the enemy wants to present you with it. You know, it's amazing. When I chose, probably 11 or 12 years ago, when I chose that I was no longer, uh, basically, let me, let me say it this way. When I chose about 11, 12 years ago that I was going to love and honor Kay with all that I have, it was amazing how less offensive she became. All of a sudden, like overnight, it was magical. Overnight, she became so unoffendable or unoffensive. She didn't offend me at all. It was radical, the change that happened in her. And now I just, like, I want to do stuff for her. Like, I sneak around and find stuff that she likes when she's not looking and go get it for her and do, do all these secretive, sly, cool things for her. Because she's so unoffensive that I, it's so easy for love to just flow and mercy and grace to just flow. It's so, it just, it's like natural. It's like we're one flesh. It's, but she changed. I mean, let me tell you how much she changed. That moment that I made that decision, it was changed her like that. Hey, you want to change your spouse? You should do that. Just determine that you're not going to be un- offended by your spouse. Don't, determine you're not going to be offended by your parents. Determine you're not going to be offended by your boss. Determine you're not going to, if you determine you're not going to be offended by all these people, watch how they change all of a sudden. What? And write me an email. And then don't quit the church. <laughs> the, the word for offense in the Greek is scandalizo. That's the verb. Scandalon is the noun. That's where we get the word scandalous. That's the word offense. Because it's scandalous. It literally means a trap stick. Anybody ever watch the cartoons where they were going to trap the cat or the dog and they had a box with a stick with a string? And then you hid behind a bush and, and you pulled the string and it, that, that stick that held the box up, it's called a scandal on. That's what the enemy's doing to you. He's like, hey, do you see the cool burger underneath the box? Come here. Do you see that real that really hot girl that you work with at work? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh look, she likes you. Oh, isn't she pre- Gotcha. Trapstick. Because the only way you're gonna go there is because you're offended up well if my wife would take care of me the way she's supposed to, I wouldn't be having to chase this little hussy. Really? Really? 
Well, if that person treated me the right way, well, if God did this, then I wouldn't have to. If God provided for my needs, I wouldn't have to go work an extra job. Gotcha. Trapstick. Offended. You get offended at God? <laughs> oh, dear Jesus. I don't know how to get you out of that. Because I've seen people that way. They get offended at God, you tell them that God is love, and they'll cuss you out. And God's never offended anybody. You get that? Don't assume that just because you're being offended by someone that they actually did something offensive. There's 4 billion people, 5 billion people on this planet that are offended at God. And He has never done nothing but love them. Nothing but love them. Your, your offense is unjustified. And I do not want you to take it into 2021. All right, we have uh, we have some altar ministers that are going to come forward now, and I, their specific job is to pray and help you work through if there's anything that's offensive going on in your heart or your life. And I'm going to ask you to stand, please, and I'm going to pray over you first, and then I'm going to pronounce this blessing. And I, I desire that you receive this prayer. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a little bit of a tenuous prayer. And you might want to try to guard your heart from it. I would encourage you to lower your, lower your walls, lower your barricades. And let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do. Father, I present to you the beloved family. Father, I know that that you have called us to do literally world-changing things in this group of people. That you've given us a message, you've given us a method, you've given us an understanding, you've given us revelation, you've given us like real people to do this life with. And all of that stuff wasn't by accident. You literally knew what you were doing when you put us together. And Father, I also know by default that that means that the enemy hates this absolutely hates this. And I declare right now that there is not one heart in the sound of my voice, not only here gathered in the room, but listening on podcasts and on on YouTube, that there's not one of these people that are going to allow the enemy to take offense in them. And steal away the fruitfulness that the Father has for them to experience in their kingdom. So right now, I curse offense in every person. I curse the hurts that even some of these people think are justified. I declare over every one of these folks that there are no scars from yesterday that are going into tomorrow. We call the offender by his rightful name. His name is Satan. His name is not my wife, my husband, my son, my daughter. His name is Satan. And we reject Satan with everything on the inside of us. And we walk in mercy and in grace and in truth, and in understanding, on purpose, as a people who have received mercy.
I declare this over them in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for sharing a few moments with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and at Beloved Church, this is where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved. I pray, I desire, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way. As you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved. Speak life.